0: Welcome to Axios Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, the trade wars with China intensify, and we now know who Elon Musk plans to send around the moon. But first... Marijuana. Maybe around five years ago, I attended a cannabis industry conference, which, yeah, that's a thing. And it was in a pretty nondescript hotel, maybe 30 miles north of Boston. But clearly the folks milling around in that pretty dimly lit ballroom realized they were on the verge of something pretty unusual. The birth of a massive new industry that would probably need to build its entire logistical supply chain from scratch and quickly. So here's what I mean. Most banks wouldn't give loans to cannabis companies. Most shipping companies wouldn't ship it, either to businesses or to consumers. Big agriculture, big pharma, they didn't want to touch it. And of course, it was illegal, according to the U.S. federal government. So some of that remains the case today, but the dollars are rising and the stigma is falling. In fact, we're seeing some brand name companies begin to enter. Just yesterday, Coca-Cola Yeah, the maker of Coke said that it's closely watching an ingredient in cannabis it might want to infuse into a new category of beverages that it calls wellness drinks. And Constellation Brands, which makes Corona Beer and Robert Mondavi Wines, it just invested $4 billion into a Canadian cannabis company. And then there's Tilray, which signed a distribution deal with a Canadian liquor retailer to distribute its products and also today said it's gotten approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and DEA, yeah, Trump's DEA, to export a medical marijuana product to the US for clinical testing related to a neurological condition known as essential tumor. Tilray shares, not surprisingly, are soaring on that news, and it's now valued at more than $12 billion. The bottom line here is this is no longer back alley Cheech and Chong stuff. Pot is very big business with exponential growth. The big questions now are how that growth is managed, where it happens, and what hurdles remain. We'll go deeper in 15 seconds with Brendan Kennedy, CEO of Tilray. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined by Brendan Kennedy, CEO of Tilray. And Brendan, let's start with the announcement today. How do you guys get U.S. FDA approval for something when the U.S. federal government still says that marijuana is illegal under federal law?
1: Well, I can't say it was easy, but we couldn't be prouder that we received this import permit from the DEA. We're thrilled to be able to supply medicine for a clinical trial at the University of California, San Diego. Brendan, at
0: this point, can you give me a sense where you think the cannabis market is from a maturation standpoint? Where do you think the market is currently kind of in its life cycle of maturation?
1: Well, on one hand, I've been saying for years that Cannabis globally is a $150 to $200 billion industry. However, most of that is illicit. What is happening is we're seeing a global paradigm shift. We're seeing a $150 billion industry transition from being illicit to being legal. And that's really where the risk is. This is a little bit different than things I saw when I was in Silicon Valley that required engineering success. All the risk was an engineering risk or market acceptance. Could these engineers build it? If they built it, would people buy it? In this industry, we know people can grow cannabis and we know people will buy it. The risk is in regulatory change, really. And, and that's what we're seeing. And today was yet another Brick falling off of the Berlin Wall of cannabis prohibition when when the DEA granted us this export permit from Canada, import permit into the U.S.
0: The analogy you just used was a brick coming off the Berlin Wall. Should there be um, plausible concern that that some bricklayers might come and put new bricks into the Berlin Wall in this case?
1: I think we're past the point of no return. You know, the, the Berlin Wall toppled over in November 89. But there were a lot of events that led up to that. And, and that's what we're seeing here. Milestone after milestone on the way to ending cannabis prohibition. And we're just waiting for gravity and inertia to take effect and, and that wall will topple over. But if you're asking me, is the toothpaste out of the tube or has the horse left the barn? Yes.
0: Good. We've gotten lots of cliched analogies in. This is fantastic. Talk to me a little bit about, particularly for startups in this market, how available is capital for them? There's obviously venture capital money. Can they get credit? Can they get, you know, if you want to open a marijuana dispensary or something, can you get a loan from your local bank?
1: Uh no. So I've been I've been doing this for eight years, and for eight years I've said everything is harder in this industry. And that's the challenge, but that's also part of the opportunity, is that there isn't a lot of competition from uh, global players uh, around creating companies in this industry. And so that's the opportunity we saw eight years ago. Now, I will say it has changed. It has gotten easier over the last eight years. But if you are in the U.S., it's still very difficult to... Open a bank account and find capital from investors who are interested in helping you grow your business.
0: How important is this inflow of kind of big global beverage companies, whether they be uh, soft drink companies like Coke or beer companies like Constellation moving into the space? Is that as equally important for acceptance as it is just simply for cash?
1: that this paradigm shift is taking place. It's a sign that this is a mainstream industry focused on creating products for mainstream people. Uh, And you don't get any more mainstream in the pharmaceutical industry than Novartis, who we partnered with six months ago. You don't get any more mainstream in the alcohol industry than Constellation Brands. And when you look at beverage or functional food and beverage, certainly expect companies like Coca-Cola and PepsiCo to make investments in this space
0: obviously you run Tilray. You're also involved in Privateer, which is a venture capital private equity firm focused on the cannabis space. Where do you see still the greatest greenfield opportunities for startups in cannabis?
1: I think that the U.S. is at an interesting point here. I'm very bullish about the opportunity in the United States. I think that the United States is closer to legalization than most people realize. However, there are still significant risks, right? This is a federally illegal product, despite the fact that 31 states in D.C. have legalized cannabis for medical purposes and despite the fact that nine states have legalized for adult use. A few months ago, you saw Oklahoma legalized for medical use. In November, you will see Utah, of all places, legalized for medical use. If that's not a sign that the train has left the station, I don't know what is. And so I think that there's massive opportunities. There are, as you mentioned earlier, there are lots of risks, For entrepreneurs, it is difficult to raise capital. It's difficult to open a bank account. But the industry is changing. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw legalization here in the U.S. in the next few years.
0: When it comes to legalization, not on the medical side, but on the recreational side, what's your position on what you think there should be uh, or maybe shouldn't be in terms of prohibitions or rules around distribution?
1: I think that If you look at Canada, the whole impetus behind the the law was about reducing access to children, regulating this product to make sure that that minors didn't have access to it, and ensuring that capital didn't flow to illicit market operators. The final point was safer products for consumers, right? Uh, Regulating these products so they're safer. And so I think that that is the framework that I would look for in countries that are looking at legalizing cannabis for.
0: But a final question for you, which is, I assume you've seen what's happened recently with the FDA and flavored e-cigarettes, which, again, isn't the business you're in. But I'm wondering, these are products which are not supposed to be sold to children. They've got, you know, 18 plus on them. Teenagers still are getting their hands on them a lot. And you now have the FDA basically saying, hey, companies, if you can't control it, if you can't control distribution, then we're just going to shut you down entirely. Are you concerned recreational cannabis could face a similar sort of problem, at least in the U.S.?
1: I think that responsible branding and marketing is extremely important at, at this point. No one wants to see a Spuds McKenzie of cannabis. No one wants to see a Joe Camel of cannabis. I think the onus is on the industry to do this the right way from the beginning, because people like us who operate in the industry really believe that there are social harms caused by prohibition, whether it's you know disproportionate incarceration of African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans or you know lack of access for medical patients. And so, We we think prohibition is bad, but we want to make sure that that legalization is done the right way.
0: Okay, now all I'm thinking about is a bull terrier smoking a joint, but that's fine. Um, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter, faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a major escalation of the trade wars between the U.S. and China. President Trump yesterday announced that his administration will levy 10% tariffs on around $200 billion worth of Chinese imports next week, and those could increase to 25% by year end. So the message to American businesses is you've only got a few months to completely rearrange your supply chains. Now, China, of course, is retaliating. It announced its own round of tariffs on up to about $60 billion of imports, which will go into effect on the very same. Same day. Now, neither side is blinking here, and they don't even seem to be talking to each other. There were reports over the weekend that Chinese trade reps were considering skipping proposed talks in D.C., and today's tariff announcement didn't even acknowledge the invitation. The bottom line here is that it's been six months since President Trump tweeted that trade wars are easy to win. So far with China, however, he's played to a stalemate. And finally, while some of you are watching the Emmys or Monday Night Football, Silicon Valley was glued to a live webcast from SpaceX, the Elon Musk company that unveiled the world's first space tourist, otherwise known as a guy who just paid tons of cash to become an amateur astronaut. His name is Yusaku Mazawa, a Japanese entrepreneur who also plans to take up to eight artists and performers with him on what would be a trip around the moon sometime in 2023. But don't worry, for him and for those performers, SpaceX does Plan plenty of orbital test flights beforehand. And we're done. Thanks so much for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Cheeseburger Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another ProRata podcast.